Would you please join me as I pray? Gracious God and Father, with this word open before us, I am asking for courage. Courage for each of us to not just read this text, but to allow it to read us, to deal with us, for each of us to be engaged in these moments, actively listening and asking you by your spirit how we ought to respond and change in light of this word. I pray that in these moments, you would be rearranging the realities of our life, that you would be speaking and moving in such a way that that we would come more alive to your purposes and plans and work in and through us. Come and meet with us in these moments. You're welcomed in this place. We thank you in advance for what you intend to do, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My brother-in-law is a developer and home builder outside of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, He's committed to creating good, lasting homes that are really affordable. So if you know anybody in Kansas City that's looking for a good house, Arise Homes, that's the place to go. Uh, I've enjoyed watching him as he's developed this vision and they've, they're doing these whole developments where they'll buy a big plot of land and start from the beginning, cutting the roads and building the infrastructure. And he took me out one of our recent visits to see what they were working on. And, you know, bulldozers are out moving the dirt, they're cutting the roads. And then right out at the front, there was a model home You know, so the model home was beautiful and it had the nice sod that had already been laid. And then just beyond the model home, the bulldozers and the dirt and the streets are being laid and you're kind of like, this doesn't quite look like that. But the idea was that for prospective clients, that as they come, they could look at this home and look at the yard and then survey the rest and go, this is going to become like that. It's all going to look like this model home if you just give it time. The idea that this is a picture of what we intend to do with the whole. In many ways, this is God's design for his covenant people. This is his design for the church. His movement in the midst of the people is to do a work in their midst in such a way that it becomes a picture, an inbreaking of his glory and his kindness in a way that a word to the rest of the world, I intend to move in these ways all over the fullness of my creation. And as we're together examining revival dynamics, these four weeks to start the year, we're talking about the nature of revival, the way that it shows up in the last chapters of the book of Isaiah. We're really talking about that reality of glory breaking in in a real and a present way among a people in such a way that it becomes a picture of what God intends to do with the whole. One of the things that we've learned just in these last couple weeks of kind of moving towards this series and of discussing it in house churches that even the word revival in a community the size of ours sparks all sorts of differing kind of perspectives and responses. Some of us are really excited at that thought, go, oh, that sounds amazing. Others like, I don't fully know what we mean by that word, but I'm not interested. Or the ways that I've heard it talked about in the past, that just sounds like emotionalism or hysterics, or trying to get revved up into something. And I just want to say that what we're talking about from the book of Isaiah, as we talk about the dynamics of renewal and revival in a community of faith, it's not emotionalism. And we're not trying to rev each other up into something that's like a false experience of of some kind of fervor. 
But what we're talking about in, the, in these last chapters of the book of Isaiah is the ways that God is willing to, in moments, in particular communities, make his presence known in such a way that he's saying, what I'm doing here in this moment is what I intend to do for the whole. I'm giving you a foretaste in this moment. God becoming overwhelmingly real in a season to a particular people that they might have hope and expectation for the ways that he is going to continue to work throughout the rest of time. And so we come into these moments in Isaiah chapter 58 to continue to examine the dynamics of revival. Last week, we talked about the importance of humility in Isaiah 57, that God works in people who are contrite and lowly, who are humbled in God's presence, low before him, saying we're held together by his grace. And in chapter 58, coming right on the heels of that word, we're going to see that God works in the hearts and the lives of a community that takes radical responsibility for their geography, for the people around them. We're going to see that a people that doesn't just engage in kind of false, empty, pietistic religion, but people that engage in holistic, transformative worship that touches the least and the last and those on the margins and their midst, that it's those sorts of people that are ready for the renewing work of God. So, as we mentioned last week, revival is not something that we can manipulate or manage or demand. But we can be the sorts of people that study the dynamics of it in the scriptures and say, God, we want to be renewed by your presence. And so we are going to position and posture ourselves and say, we are ready. We welcome you. This week, we're talking about responsibility. And we're going to do so from Isaiah chapter 58. Quite simply, you're going to be invited to two things as we think about revival-ready responsibility. One, we are going to be invited to lay down selfish flimsy pietism. This is that sort of pious religion that's really about making ourselves look good. He's going to, in very uncomfortable terms, point his finger at that and say, stop it. (laughs) Somewhat boldly and prophetically, the prophet Isaiah is going to walk in here and call us to account in that area and say, that has to be laid down. And then secondly, he's going to invite us to step into holistic, transformative worship. Show us what that looks like. Okay, lay down flimsy, selfish piety. Look at verse one and hear the intensity with which God is calling Isaiah to do this work. He says this in chapter 58 and verse one, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Do you see the prophetic call for Isaiah in this moment? God is telling him to blast off. He's saying a compliment sandwich is not going to accomplish it, okay? Don't come in nice and gentle. He says, you need like a trumpet blast so that my people can hear it and receive it and respond to it. You need to announce to them the ways that they are in sin and they don't think they are. They need to be awakened to the reality of what's going on. And then he starts in verse two in such a way that it it feels like, well, gosh, these folks sound like they're doing okay at the outset. Verse two, it says, Yet they seek me daily, and they delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. The insinuation here is that these are people that are saying, we love to be near God, we love to worship God, and we're asking for righteous judgments. The insinuation being that it's judgment on all these people that don't do these wonderful things that we're doing. 
Verse 3, they are asking this question, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? He says this, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all of your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? You see, the prophet Isaiah is called by God to sound off against the people that are doing all the right religious things. They're praying, they're fasting, they're calling out to God in ways that they believe are very impressive. And by the way, they're looking on all of these other people that aren't engaged in any of the right religious activity and going, God, where has, where has faithfulness gone in our land? We're calling down for proper judgments on all of these people that don't care about you or care about your word. And oh God, look at us, we do care. Why is it that you're not listening to our prayers? And the prophetic trumpet blast that begins to blow into these people's face in this moment is, listen, God doesn't listen to those prayers because they're, they're empty. It's empty religion. It's false, flimsy, selfish piety. And the uncomfortable reality is I've sat with this text in preparation for this morning is I feel like God has been both gently and directly blowing the trumpet in my direction Helping me understand that I've spent years defining spiritual maturity as acquiring Bible knowledge, theologically accurate language. The thought being that if I study the Bible enough, consistently enough, and I amass enough answers, if I, if I pray and fast and do all the right activities in conjunction with having these answers, that equals spiritual maturity. And maybe, just maybe, you at times have defined it in the same way, to which God says, I'm uninterested. I'm uninterested in a definition of spiritual maturity like that. I've got to be real honest. I never thought that I would, as a pastor, somewhat consistently counsel people to stop going to so many Bible studies. But I found that over the years, I do that. I will sit in my office and hear from folks that they'll say, you know, I, I'm in Bible study like five nights a week. And I'm like, and I think the insinuation is, look, like every night of the week, this is what I do. I get together with Christians and we study the Bible because we're really serious about this. And the struggle that I, I feel like God's work in, in my life, and I think what he's inviting us into is, listen, I'm all for Bible study. Don't mishear me. We ought to love the scriptures. We ought to be devoted to the scriptures. We ought to care about speaking appropriately about the living God. But listen, it is a means to an end. It is not an end in itself. We don't come and seek the Bible so we can say, oh, look, I'm mature. It is a means to an end. It is access to the heart of the living God that if we find ourselves in his presence being transformed by him, the outcome, the end game is that rich, robust, dynamic, transformative love is flowing out of us in every direction. That's why we do it. And so if we spend all of our time cloistered and studying and being pious, but it's not emitting in something that has real, tangible life change and connection to the world around us, we've missed something deeply. 
You see, it is a means to an end. It is not an end to itself. And in this, in this chapter, it's God is talking about a people becoming ready for his renewing purposes within them. What he says is this, your piety is not an end. You have to lay down your flimsy, selfish piety. He says you're engaging in this stuff while you're still just seeking your own pleasure. It's all about you. You see, friends, the invitation is for us to lay down the flimsy, selfish, pious activities and to take up something totally different. He's going to invite us to step into holistic, transformative worship. We're going to see it show up in a couple of places in this chapter, and I think holistic, transformative worship is some combination of at least these two things, as we're going to see in the text, justice and generosity. Justice and generosity. These are the outworkings of a life touched by the presence of God's heart that's pouring out in love on those around us. We'll see it in the text over and again. Look at verse six and seven the first time these two things show up. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Do you hear that note of such intense responsibility? He's actually saying that when you see someone uncovered, someone struggling, someone that doesn't have the proper attire or warmth in the midst of their exposure, he says, that's your flesh that's exposed. He's inviting the people of God to to so deeply relate to humanity around them that they think of the other's exposure of flesh as their own flesh. He's saying, listen, real transformative worship, it lifts the burden of injustice and it generously pours out the care that is needed in those places. It is a combination of justice and generosity. It has been said that what we need to bear fruit in the world is not three years of a seminary degree which incidentally I did and I think was tremendously valuable. Don't get me wrong. But we don't need three years in a seminary class memorizing our Greek paradigms. It has been said maybe, just maybe, we need three days in a third world country or three seconds to see what hell is actually like. That if we were to confront reality... Life is unfolding. Hundreds of thousands are going to die of hunger this year, and the majority of those are children. That's happening now on the planet. When you see a video like the one we saw of Scott Key, a guy that was at Rice University getting his architecture degree, and all of a sudden the plight of refugees grabbed his heart, and he and a classmate started to dream about those that are displaced from their homes and the average length of displacement for a refugee on the planet today is 27 years. And what Scott and those that he was working with started to realize is that's not a temporary challenge. That is a long-term reality that is the result or that is the responsibility of God's people. Now, I'm not an architect and you might not be either, but for Scott, that's what he had in his hands. And he said, what would it look like to take responsibility for the challenges in the world? Because listen, that's worship. 
holistic, transformative worship that delights the heart of God is the one that looks out at the brokenness of the world and says, what is the life and the joy and the freedom that has been worked in me is coursing through my veins? How does that connect to the brokenness and the loss and the heartache in the world? That connection delights God's heart. That's the worship that he is seeking I've been really encouraged this week hearing about some people in our community, a couple of different huddles, folks that are meeting together and praying, and some that were studying uh, this text. There's actually a small group that memorized Isaiah 58, and they said, what do we do in response to this? And they said, well, let's take a day to fast, and then we'll break the fast by buying some food, and we'll go out under a bridge, and we'll share it with folks that are living on the streets. That's like pretty much on the nose on this text, right? It's not... It's not some mysterious thing that's hidden. I just love that they were like, we're just going to obey it. I was really encouraged by that, that sense of, I'm going to step out and, and see what God does in using that. I don't know what it means for you. What I do know is this. A revival-ready community takes responsibility for those around them. They, they worship God in such a way that it matters to the homeless poor. If we can be touched by the grace of God and experiencing his nearness and it has no meaningful impact on those suffering around us, there has been a disconnect in our souls and God is offended by that sort of worship. Do you hear? Those words offend the speaker. I'm with you in this. Like I get busy and calloused and I have some compassion fatigue and I retreat and I become about me. That's the story of my life over the last 18 months. And so when I say these words, if it feels like a trumpet blast that makes you uncomfortable, listen, it does me too. But the invitation is, would we be the sort of people that don't sidestep it or plug our ears? A revival-ready community slows down and goes, oh God, you're speaking really clearly to us. You're not like smuggling in what you actually value. You're declaring it really clearly. He's going, go take care of the homeless poor. Where is their injustice? That should matter to you. It should matter to me. You see, he's inviting us to say, not as those that think themselves better than anyone else. Remember, this comes on the heels of Isaiah 57. We are pulverized backsliders held together by the grace of God. He's saying right there in your low position, knowing that God has been so kind to you, what would it look like for you to be kind to your own flesh beyond these walls? Holistic, transformative worship. And then he just hits the same note again. He comes back in verse 9 and 10 and listen, It's justice and generosity again in verse 9 and 10. He says this. Then shall you call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he'll say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfying the desires of the afflicted, then your light will arise in the darkness. You hear what he's saying is this, once again, justice and generosity. If you take care of those that are in pain and you pour yourself out. James Montgomery Boyce once said about, a, about sleepy Christians, he said, if sleepy Christians want to come awake to the things of God, he says, 
one thing that I know they could do that would awaken them is give a significant amount of their, of their savings away in one fell swoop. <laughs> when I read that, I was pretty uncomfortable. I was like, hey, James, let's just, you know, let's just a steady, take a deep breath, cool it a little bit. But what I've realized is there is a certain sense, the text is saying, what would it look like for you to be poured out? To be poured out for the poor and the hungry. Not to do, the pouring out is not like measured half steps. The pouring out is, is like I exist for those that are on the edges. You see, God has called his people to operate in this sort of way. I don't know what it looks like for you, but what if, what if 2024 was the year where you took some bold, courageous, God-glorifying steps to be a part of his healing purposes in the world? What would that be like? Maybe it's you connect with one of the organizations that we partner with. Maybe all of a sudden you're with Houston Welcomes Refugees, tending to a family that has shown up in our city with nothing, no connections and no care, and you go and help provide wraparound care for them. Maybe, maybe that's what it looks like. Maybe it's connecting with a group like Restoring Justice. I had the privilege of getting to see that up close in this last calendar year, a group that exists to provide legal care and defense most pointedly and most consistently for young black men who are underrepresented in the legal system. And I got to sit in the courtroom and watch a man that was going to be condemned set free. And you know, that's, that's bringing justice to places where people are being mistreated and overlooked. Perhaps it's finding someone, you know, this text says, invite the homeless poor into your home. Maybe there's someone on the periphery of your life right now that if they found their way to your dinner table, it would be transformative and life-changing. I've been asking the question with my family and my, my four sons, what would it look like for us? It so often feels like we're just trying to hold it together. And as a result, we don't think in terms of what would it look like to just open up the edges of our lives and our family a little bit to welcome more people in, to experience some love and welcome, to have those that are on the edges and feel like the bottom is dropped out, to feel like they're being embraced. What would that look like? What would it feel like in 2024 to take bold steps to, this is a crazy thought, obey the scriptures, not just study them? What would that be like? What would it be like for God to say, I care about the homeless poor and I want you to as well. And we go, okay, I will. That would be amazing. That's a revival ready community that says, I'm going to lay down all of the empty, flimsy, selfish piety, thinking that my Bible study and my prayer that's mostly about me is what is making me commendable to God. No, 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 that was a means to an end to be transformed in my heart. Would you come with me into holistic worship? And then he says beautifully. (laughs) This this is this beautiful reality. He's going, this is going to be best for you. This is an invitation into your fullness. I'm not trying to lasso you with something that's like so difficult that's going to rob you of joy. Listen, what he says is that for those who are revival ready with their responsibility, He says, this is what will flow in. This is what revival will look and feel like for that sort of community. Hear it in these verses. In verse 8 and 9a, this is what he says. 
Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing will spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry out and he will say, here I am. He's saying the nearness of God will settle in on you. He will protect you and guide you and preserve you. Not because you've earned his presence, but because you have finally aligned with it. You finally said, God, I want to go where you are. I want to position myself there. I want you. I don't want to play religious games and keep you at arm's length. I want you. And as you step in, what he's saying is, I will pour myself out on you. You will be renewed and refreshed. He goes on to say it in this way in verse 10b through 12. He says, your light will rise in the darkness. Your gloom will be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desire in the scorched places. He will make your bones strong. You will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. The ancient ruins will be rebuilt. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Things and dreams that have been broken portions of your family that have crumbled, places in our hearts that just feel like they've grown dead and calloused. When we open ourselves up to the presence of God in these ways, all of a sudden we start to go, I didn't know it was possible. I didn't know he was going to turn the hearts of the father back to the son and the heart of the son back to the father. I didn't know there would be reconciliation and healing. I didn't know that we would see in the streets this brokenness and division start to be healed and pockets that bring life and joy. He's going, we could be a part of that. He's not asking you to eat your cauliflower. Like, I don't know, this sounds hard. Unless you love cauliflower, then he is asking you to eat your cauliflower. What he's saying is, listen, this is for your good. You would delight in this if you would come with me on this journey. Don't think that seasons of renewal and the presence of God being poured out are going to be this inconvenient kind of thing that you want to keep at arm's length. Listen, it's what your soul is longing for. I will renew you in these ways. And then verse 14, he finishes saying this, then you will take delight in the Lord. And he will make you to ride on the heights of the earth. He will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, God is actively looking. He's searching for a community to bless with his presence in rich and full ways. The way that 2 Chronicles 16.9 says it is that God's eyes are roaming to and fro. You see this? throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless. It literally means to those whose heart is whole towards God. It's like he's searching the earth going, I just, if I can find a community that's contrite and lowly and taking responsibility for right around them, I will pour out my presence in ways that they will taste my nearness in a way that they will, they will delight in. They will be renewed by. You see, friends, we're, we're in a season considering revival dynamics, saying, why not us? Why not now? What is it that keeps us, maybe even you've heard some of this and you're like, ooh, <laughs> this is a little intense. I prefer my religion and my faith just to stay nice and tidy in its proper place, to which the God of the universe is going, oh, what's sad? What sadness that you would walk through life and miss the eternal that's ready and willing to meet you, to break in, to pour out over you. 
Why not us and why not now? To say, God, we can't manage it or manipulate it or make it happen, but what we long to be It's a model home, a space where your presence is poured out, where your nearness is present, and people could start to understand what it would look like for glory to break in. Listen, friends, Jesus has come and lived and died in such a way to purchase that reality on our behalf, to set us free from our flimsy, empty religion. Jesus' life was so dense and real. He didn't come and hover above the surface, dispensing Bible verses and staying distant from people. He was hugging lepers. He was dining with prostitutes. He was engaged in real life saying, hear, touch, and feel. This is dense, real, true life. And then on the cross, in order to satisfy justice, he generously poured out his life, not holding back any piece of it. He poured it out completely for you and for me in the name of justice and generosity that we could know the heart of God. And in his resurrection power and life, what he is saying is this, we together, with resurrection life coursing out of me and through you, we can repair the breach. We can build up the broken places you can taste my nearness as we together bring hope and peace to the world. Friends, would you commit with me to quit playing religious games? Can we lay down the selfish, pious stuff? We don't have to pretend. We don't have to play that game anymore. And when we say yes to the presence of God and say we want the holistic, transformative worship that blows our hair back, that lights us ablaze, where we get renewed by the presence of God and used by him, we want to be those sorts of people. You are invited into that. A people of humility and responsibility ready for the presence of God to flow through us. Let me pray for us. Ah. Jesus, would you forgive me for so quickly calling you my Lord and then treating your words and your life like, oh, I don't know, gentle suggestions that I can take or leave. When I relate to you and your word in that way, I am, can, I am displaying with my life that you are not my Lord. I am not eager to do what you say and to go where you call me. I'm sorry. I don't want to live like that. I want to say yes. I want to go where you go because I believe that you lead us into the fullness of life. I pray that we would be a family that altogether cherishes and obeys your word, that worships in ways that is transformative and touches the actual needs of real people outside of these walls. We know, God, that that sort of worship delights your heart and we want to delight you. So Jesus, we rejoice in your grace and your kindness to us. You are our hope and our hero. Thank you for living the life we're supposed to live and dying the death we deserve to die so that we can live with you by your resurrection power. Come and meet with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.